Well, good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to wrap up the salt part of salt and light. So I believe this is the last salty message you're going to get. And um, the messages from next week on will be much lighter. Yeah, did you see what I did then? If you did, I'm sorry. Okay, um, so let's go straight to the next screen, the, the verse one. We'll refresh ourselves with Matthew five thirteen to 16. Jesus speaking to uh, the gathered folks on the Mount, sermon, uh, at the Sermon on the Mount said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, and a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, we're stressing this concept, you are the light of the world. Jesus didn't get up and say, look, one day if you're good enough, you will be the light of the world. If you go to church and if you pay your tithe and if you pray and if you do a few other things that are in the book, you may get to be light and salt just a little bit. Jesus never said that. He said, you are the light. And so the interesting thing is we're not trying to manufacture something new that we don't already have. What the scripture is saying is what you already, what you need to be salt and light is already in there. It's just a matter of getting it out. And today I want, to, I want to quickly look at some aspects of salt and then just at the end I want to talk a little bit about how we get this out because I wasn't sure that that was going to get done so I decided I was going to do it today and uh, we don't have to worry about it. When I was um, December 1968, who remembers December 1968? Yeah, just the five of us, awesome. <laughs> I had just finished sixth class. And I was walking back from cricket practice. We, we lived uh, in a suburb and if you imagine looking at my house, I looked straight up the street at the school. Behind the school was the creek. The creek ran all the way along the suburb and at the very end of the creek was the place where we trained for football and cricket. And so as an 11-year-old boy, <laughs> who walks along the footpath? Not me, we walked along the creek. Makes sense, doesn't it? And so I was walking back from cricket practice that night and you're going to find this kind of... I wasn't paying attention because I was talking. And, who, who would have thought it? And, um, and there was a, a piece of barbed wire, an old fence, rural fence that was there from whenever. And it was under the ground, but it came up in a loop about two feet high. Hang on, I was, I was 11. About 18 inches high and uh, went back down again. And as I was walking along the path, I didn't see it because I was engaged in conversation. And it, um, now let me think, it got me across the leg and it just tore the flesh out of the front of my thigh. And when I got home, I said, Mum, look what I did. She said, yeah, that's not very good. And so she kind of cleaned it up and, and we did, you know, it didn't look like it could be stitched because it was quite a, a wide gouge. It was probably about maybe just under half an inch wide. And uh, so we kind of, you know, put dead oil on it and all that kind of stuff you did when you were little. And we just left it and there it was. And it just sort of got worse and worse and pussy and festery. And, and I was due to go on holidays with my auntie and my cousin uh, to Nelson Bay. And now for some of you 
you go, okay, well, tough luck, go next year. That's the, that, was, that was the holiday, the one holiday that I had in my growing up years. And so I wasn't going to miss it. My auntie was saying, look, it's really bad. I don't think you'll be able to come. And I said, oh, please, 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 please. And so eventually they let me went and uh, let me went, let me go. And uh, we, we came up to Nelson Bay and we started swimming in the ocean or the, or the bay in the salt water. And I noticed that after about three days it had cleaned out. And by the end of the week, it was just about healed. And I put it down to the salt. The salt in the water had actually done its work in healing. And this morning, I want to talk about us as the salt of the earth with the concept of healing. How do we apply that in our lives in a healing way? So you ready? That's what we're going to do. Okay, so we're going to go to the the next screen, which is disinfectant. Disinfectant. Glen 20. Who's heard of Glen 20? Who's staggered that it's still Glen 20? Well, we're up to Microsoft 10. But we've still only got Glen 20. I don't understand that. I don't understand that there's still only a, a glass and a half in every block. How there's only 43 beans in every cup. Only some of you will know what I'm talking about. There's been, there's been no increase in 11 secret herbs and spices in all those years. And we've still got Glen 20. So the disinfectant nature of salt, and salt is a disinfectant. And in fact, that's what it did with my leg. It, it actually cleaned out the wound. It got rid of the bacteria. And one of the things with disinfectant with Glen 20, who's ever used Glen 20? Anybody? Yeah. So what do you do with it? You spray it, don't you? Now, do you, do you, do you find, do you get a microscope, what do you call those things? A... Uh, magnifying glass and go along the bench and look for the bacteria and just, oh, there's one. There's another one. Is that how you do it? No, it's, it's liberally applied. It's sprayed everywhere into the atmosphere so that that which is, dis- that which is a, an infectant can be neutralised. And so this is the same way with us when it comes to atmosphere. God wants to use us to take control of infecting atmospheres. And we find those at work and sometimes in our home, sometimes in our relationship. And the way we do that is through simply the application of joy, encouragement and edification. But you've noticed I've put it as a verb. And there's a reason for that. Because everybody knows that a verb is a doing word. Okay? Whereas the other ones are just knowing words. And there's a big difference between knowing and doing. Has anybody found that to be true? Okay, so let's, we're going to move through this pretty quick. So try and stay with me, guys, if you can. So let's go to the next slide. Okay, disinfected, joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Now, I'm going to go through some scriptures here, and you're going to say, yeah, that's easy for you to do, but... Like, I've had a really bad week. I understand that, okay? That's a given. So I'm just going to give you the scripture, and then later on I'm going to come back and start to look at how we actually make that work. Is that okay? So, so right at the first, I'm just going to say, God says to us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Who finds that they're just doing that all the time? Yeah. I, I was putting my hand up as an example, not because I actually do that all the time. 
But, you know, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is like hard. And so I want to talk about how we actually do it, how we get our life around it. Because it's one thing to get our head around it. It's another thing to get our life around it, right? Because, you know, we can know what to do up here. Paul says that. We're going to look at that scripture. The good that I know, I find I don't do. And the stuff that I know that I shouldn't do, I find I'm doing. So my body is not agreeing with my Noah. So we, we need to change that. Okay, so joyful. Number two, encouraging. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you were doing. Now, I see that happening of a Sunday morning, and I know it happens at other times in, in our, in our um, church here, and I'm really grateful for that. There's a, there's a strong sense of encouragement, and all I can say is keep doing it. Let it spread out. Let it overflow the walls. Let, let's take the church out of church and into everywhere else we go. Amen? I just want to say one thing about Thailand while I think about it, and because uh, I've been in those huts and talk to some of those people that have got um, compassion sponsors. And I want to say just one thing to you. We have the opportunity to give out of our overflow. Right? The family, for them, it's not an opportunity. It's the difference. For them, what we give as a little bit out of our overflow, because we can, is the difference between them making it and not making it. And that's why they put our picture up on the wall. Because it really is significant. It's the difference between maybe going to school and not going to school. And for when you're a poor person in Thailand, school is your only hope. It really is. Okay, so that, I don't know what that had to do with it, but I just would have forgotten it if I didn't say it when it came into my mind. Okay, and then the last one, edifying. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that uh, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I just want to say one thing on this. Jesus said, I will build my church. And sometimes we want to get involved in what he said he would do, but we forget to do the thing that he said we should do. Right? He said, I'll build my church. It's a deal. I'll build my church if you will build people. Because in Ephesians it said that he gave gifts to men for the edifying of the, the church, to build the church up, to do the work of ministry so the church could be built. So if we can remember this, Jesus said, I'll build my church if you'll build my people, little by little, in your relationships, sowing in, telling, focus on the good things they can do. Sometimes, seriously, sometimes you've got to get a magnifying glass out and you've got to look for a mustard seed. But if we can focus on that mustard seed, sow into it, encourage it, you know, speak into it. Speak. The thing that we speak at will, will happen. We, we talked with our Thai pastors and said, you know, you speak about sin every week. Have you ever thought about the concept that what you speak to, you're going to get? So maybe we need to change our conversation and speak edifying words about what can be built up in people's lives. Okay, quickly, I'm moving on because I really want to get to this last section and you'll understand why. Okay, the second thing that uh, salt does is it acts as an antibiotic. And so if we think about a disinfectant operates externally and generally and over a wide spread, you don't get an antibiotic in a spray bottle. Have you noticed that? And just like if you want to take a course of antibiotics, you don't show up and they give you like a Nivea spray can and you just go... Psh, psh. Okay, have you noticed that? It comes usually in a, in a tablet form 
or sometimes in an injection form. But the idea is that the, the thing is, is applied specifically and generally internally. So when we're, when we're moving from atmosphere, we start to deal with attitude in people's lives. And God says to us, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to be salt uh, to, to my people, to the world, by dealing with the, the culture and the atmosphere that's in their lives. And the first one is by accepting them. And we just, yes, sorry, just, sorry, Cam, just throw that up. I'm just going to go through it. So Paul says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Okay, throw the next one up. Forgiving, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving, other, uh, forgiving each other, how? Just as Christ forgave you. And then the last one, graciousness. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. One of the, one of the overriding kind of concepts that's coming here over and over again is just as Jesus did it for you. Now, I don't know if you remember the day you got saved. You know, there was this, probably, probably involved crying and music and a walk down the front. And, you know, it could have involved snot if you were really, really, really serious. And you got down here and you were a blubbering mess. And who remembers have to putting Jesus' arm right up to his back to get him to accept you and forgive you? Anyone? No, it didn't happen, did it? It was straight away. I love that. It was like, Jesus, can I follow you? Bam! Straight away, there's this wave of acceptance and love and forgiveness hits you. And, you know, I'm describing it 40 years on. 43, 45 years on. So I can articulate it now, whereas maybe then I would not be able to articulate it in the same way. But what I felt was instantly, there was this, this flow of love, acceptance, and forgiveness that took my breath away. And I'm sure you've experienced that too. And Jesus says, in the same way, I did it for you. How about you do it for someone else? Because they are just as deserving of it as you were. In other words, not deserving. Amen? Not deserving. So they're no more not deserving than we are. They're not deserving in the same way as we were. And so I love the story of Slim and others that are coming and finding love, acceptance and forgiveness and it's unlocking them. Unlocking the destiny and the personality that the devil tried to kill in them. Amen? And just bringing it out so that they can be built up and they can begin to do it to others. Okay, lastly... Healing the sick. This is the third one. So the first one was bringing a kingdom atmosphere. The second one involved kingdom culture. And this one is bringing kingdom benefits. So Matthew 6, 9 and 10 says, This is how you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God gives us this great ability and privilege and responsibility to bring the kingdom of heaven into earth through prayer. And I absolutely love this, you know. Whenever somebody's got a need, they've got a need because some aspect of fallen 
humanity is being either outworked in their life or coming against them. Amen? Some aspect related to the fall, to sin entering the world, is being manifested in their body, whether it's in a, in a physical sickness or in some sort of uh, emotional imprisonment, or maybe it's just some kind of poverty thing, or maybe it's just some kind of um, internal emotional prison that they find themselves in. But all of it harks back to the lack of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, this is the way I want you to pray. Understanding all this, understanding that this is the environment that I have sown you into, I want you to begin to pray to bring the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. I want you to bring my kingdom, freedom, deliverance, salvation, healing, wholeness. I want you to bring all of that down to where people are through prayer. And I'd love to take the next hour and just talk about how this works, but I don't have it. But here's the deal. We have the capacity, and I'm going to give you the short form, the short form version. Ephesians says that we've been seated in the heavenly places where he is. Right? We have the capacity to go into the heavenly places, to petition God, and to bring kingdom benefits from the, the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. That's our, that's our privilege, and we do it through prayer. Amen? Okay, next one. The prayer of faith. James writes, is anyone sick amongst you? Let them call the elders of the church. Let's not get caught up on the word elders there, okay? It, it just means the leaders in whatever form that takes in, in where you are. Because some churches have, have people they call elders, and some people... They have leaders who act like elders. It doesn't matter. The issue is if someone's sick, let's call the elders. How do we do that? In this church, we fill out a, a prayer card and we hand it in. Or we ring someone up and say, I really need prayer. You know, Don't wait for Sunday and have a prayer card if you're really gonna, about to die on Tuesday. Okay, Just ring someone. <laughs> so let them call the elders of the church uh, to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. <laughs> Read that again. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I don't know if that does anything to you, but to me that's confronting because that hasn't always worked for me. So a long time ago I decided just to keep doing it. And what I found was this, the more I did it, the more it worked. The more I just began to lay hands on people. The other day, we were at uh, Joshua's engagement party up at Beck's place. And uh, one of the little boys in the church was there, and he's sitting on the step, and uh, he's crying. He's got an ice pack on his head. I said, what's the matter? He said, oh, I've got a really bad headache. I said, really? Let me just pray for you. And it's just what I do. And I just walked up, and I put my hand on his head, and I said, Father, in Jesus' name, Heal his headache and walked away. Now, a long time ago, I just decided I was going to do that. I don't always like, put the hand on the head. Sometimes, you know, because that can look a bit weird. So sometimes I'll just step up beside someone and just put my hand on the shoulder. Because the Bible's not real clear about laying on of hands. It just says lay them. It doesn't say where. <laughs> okay? So I just thought, you know, that's cool. Especially if it's a, a young lady. Yeah, shoulder's good. Shoulders good? Okay. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, and by the way, I, I saw the little guy about half an hour later. I said, how are you doing? How's the headache? He said, it's gone. 
I went, thank you, Jesus, and kept going. If they have sinned, uh, sorry, uh, and the prayer often in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. For the, right, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So we've got two layers of prayer there. Prayer by the leaders and prayer by the people. Prayer by one another. One for each other. Amen? It just says do it. See, we're not responsible. What does it say there? It doesn't say, and, and, and the sanctification of your holy life will make the sick person well. It doesn't say that. It just says the prayer offered in faith. And so if we, if we go, okay, Jesus, you've asked me to pray for people, and the healing's up to you, but the praying's up to me. I can do that. I, can, I don't have to manufacture any healing. All I've got to do is take this, put it on somewhere, appropriate, and pray. It's all good. Okay. Where am I up to? One's a leader function and one is a one another function. Okay. So that's salt as a healing function. Now I want to spend the next probably 10 minutes and that's it. Just talking about how we do this. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of a how guy. I, I think it's nice to talk about what and then... No, I think it's not nice to talk about what, then go and sit down. Because it's like, yeah, well, thanks, that was helpful. I knew what. I'm just wanting to know how. And so I want to talk about this. I don't, I don't believe, believe this is... Um, how can I say it? It's not difficult, it's just hard. And, and after I get through explaining, you're going to go, hey, yeah, you're right. It's not difficult, it's just hard. But it can be, it's doable. It's absolutely doable. Okay, so let's, let's talk about how do we live out this, this being. You know, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Okay, if we are, how do we live it out? How do we get the salt that we are and the saltiness and the lightiness out of us, out to where it's effective to other people? And so we're going to go to the next slide. We're going we're gonna to look at this. Life is the key, John 1.4. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I am so grateful that that verse says, in him was life, and it didn't say, in him was goodness. Aren't you glad? Because I know one thing. God is good. Amen? Jesus is good. Amen? I am not. Amen? See, it's not dependent upon goodness. It's dependent upon life. And the interesting thing about it was the Bible said that the Father granted Jesus the capacity to have life in himself. That is really super. So even for Jesus, he was dependent upon God releasing life through him. But it goes on. And I think the scripture's up there. The next one. Is that right? Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Who has the Son today? Can I see your hand? If you have the Son of God living in your life. At some, at some level. Come on. Have you said the sinner's prayer? Have you become a Christian? Then yes, that's true of you. You have the Son of God. Now, are you super apostle 
casting out devils and riding through the land in all kinds of triumph and church building? Maybe not. But that's not what I'm asking. Is Jesus in you? Because if he is, then the Bible tells me you have life. Now, you might be saying, it's not much. Okay, we'll get the magnifying glass out and we'll, we'll find it. But here's the great thing. God said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. If you've got faith the size of a what? Mustard seed. Has anybody seen a mustard seed? You'd be lucky if you saw it because it's not very big. But it says, but, but does it say if it's grown? No. What does it say? Does anybody know? When it's grown. So God's not in the business of, I'll let it happen. If he's in the business of, it's going to happen. When it's grown, the Bible says it becomes like a huge tree and all the birds of the air can come and take refuge in it. What a, what a great description of our life, that we have the life of God resident in us and it might be just the size of a mustard seed. But if we allow it to grow, the Bible says that when, it's, when it grows, our life will be like a huge tree and all the birds of the air, all, all the people around about us can come and take refuge in our life and be blessed and benefited by it. And we've all known people like that, amen? We, we know giants in the faith who, who've allowed God to grow them and their life is really showing a benefit. John 5.22, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whomever he pleases. And he's been pleased to give it to you. He has been pleased to give it to you. That day when you were down here and you were crying and blubbering and there was all that acceptance and love and forgiveness and it was wonderful, on that day God reached in and he put divine life inside of you. And you were born again. And that is crucial. It's crucial to what I'm about to tell you. You were born again. You had a second life. There was a second birth. There was a birth that was came first. And then there was a birth that came second. And the second birth is more important than the first birth. Okay, let's go to the next scripture. I think it's Romans 7. So I find this law at work, even though I, I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the deal, and we're going to throw another scripture up there now. And I want to look at these two scriptures in, in unison because one talks about two laws, another one talks about two babies, and what I want to talk about today is two natures. We have two natures in us. We have one nature, the sin nature, that's a result of our first birth for all of us were born into sin. Amen? We couldn't help it. It's just, it just was a, a function of the fall. And so we find Isaac has prayed for his wife. 
Rebecca because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer and Rebecca became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from you. Uh, Over the page. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and so he was named Jacob, which means to supplant. Now, Jacob's copped a pretty bad rap over this, his birth. You know, and there's been all kinds of sermons about what a, what a dog he was, you know, and what a, what a conniving scoundrel, and, you know, he was, he was a deceiver, and he was this, and he was that. I, I've got another thought on this. I got this thought during the shower this week. <laughs> Whose idea was it that the older would serve the younger? Was it Jacob's? Whose idea was it? It was God's idea. So I have this sneaking suspicion that way, while he may not have gone about it the best way, I believe Jacob was outworking the, the purpose of God in his life. He just wasn't real sure how to do it. He tried the heel grabbing thing, and that didn't work for him. So he, then he tried the, the goat skin and meat thing, and that kind of worked after a fashion, but not so great. And then he tried the yielding to God thing and he found that that worked much better. And this is what I want to talk about today is that when it comes to salt and light, we have two natures within us. Only one of them comes out as salt and light. Only one of them does. And that's the second nature. There's two babies within us, two natures, two lives if you like. And they're jostling with each other. Anybody had the experience of Paul? I know the good thing I want to do. But there's this overwhelming desire from the badness in me to do the thing that I don't want to do. And I find myself wrestling with it all the time. And this is what we have to do. We've got to grab that sucker by the heel. And we've got to say, listen. God says that you have to serve my new nature. So I'm going to speak to you today. I'm going to grab you by the heel and I'm going to give you a mouthful and I want you to listen to me. Your days of running this show are over because I've determined that I want to live as the salt and life that Jesus has called me to be. So, so I'm going to grab you by the heel and, and literally as we throw up the last slide, I think it is. Yeah. This is it. If we acknowledge and accept that we have a new life, therefore we are also acknowledging and accepting we have an old life, right? There's two of them in there. And I don't have to tell you too much about your old life because you're pretty acquainted with it. Sometimes it was some of the struggles with your old life that caused you to come down the front and do the crying and blubbering and accepting and praying thing, wasn't it? So you know what the old life's capable of. But we do have to acknowledge that there's a new life, you know, because 
until we, until we recognize and say, and take responsibility for the fact that God has put life within us, we can't take the next step. See, once we say, okay, God, I, I acknowledge that you have placed life within me. It's minuscule at the moment. I acknowledge that too. But God, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to choose to sow into my second life. I'm going to feed my second life. You know, there's two boys in there. And you know boys, they can eat. And uh, isn't that right, Pam? Praise God you didn't have four. Could have bankrupted you. And that first life, it likes to eat all kinds of stuff. And the problem is that we're so acquainted with our first life and so used to our first life and so in the habit of living out our first life that we turn the television on, we go to the movies, we think, we talk, we behave out of the first life so easy. It kind of comes natural to us because it's our first nature. It's how we were born. But the second nature's different. It's come after the fact. Sometimes it's come after almost a lifetime of living out the other way. But as we begin to sow into it, you know, as we begin to feed it, see, this is what I reckon. You feed one, starve the other. Hey, who cares if the old life starves to death? doesn't matter. We feed as we sow into our second life. As we choose, I'm going to choose to pray for the sick. That's, that was one of the things for me. I just decided that one day, if somebody said, hey, I'm not feeling really well, my hand would go up, like automatic. And, and I just started to do that. And I can't say that it, happen, it works all the time, but I'm going to tell you, I reckon I'm, I'm, I'm batting better than average. I reckon I've seen, I've seen more people get healed because I prayed for them than the other way now. And so that, that encourages me to keep sowing into it, you know? And with the whole joyful thing. See, I know some of you are not joyful because it, it doesn't come as part of your first nature package. Amen? Now, that, 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 I know it's kind of funny, and I know, okay, you know, um, one great preacher used to say, I like to make them laugh because if I make them laugh, I can punch them in the face without splitting their lip. Like, not figuratively, you know, like with the word. But, but some of us have grown up in environments and cultures that are not positive. Amen? You know, I have a relative, and she grew up in a family that's, that's moany and whingy and always looking to the negative. How are you going today? Oh, I'm not feeling real great. I'm not too good. Yeah, what's wrong? Oh, you know, oh, could be. Uh, and how was that? Oh, you know, I could have got. Oh, who's been? You, you know those people. It takes some doing to get that sucker by the heel, because it's it's got right into the very fibre of your being, and so little by little you have to steal your mind, and and it may take a. I am going to be joyful. And it may take a few months of joyful through gritted teeth. Joyful. Hey, hallelujah. You know, that kind of stuff. Where you've got to force the issue with your old nature. And you've got to actually physically stop yourself. 
You may have to leave the room sometimes <laughs> to avoid being negative. You know, if it comes to that, leave the room and go out and get the sucker by the heel, hit it a couple of times on the ground and come back into the room and go, hallelujah. But, but this is how we, remember I said it's, it's, it's not difficult, but it's hard. Because for some of us, we've walked like that for a long time. Some of us have made kind of the, don't, the, the, the flippant remark. A lifestyle. It's how, I dealt with my, it's how I dealt with my growing up youth and my insecurities. If I could say a funny line or, or deflect, deflect the attention onto someone else through some kind of barb, then I would do that because it hey, got me out of a tight situation. And so I've got to grab that sucker by the heel and say, no, no. Only words that are conducive to building others up, you know. And it's hard because it, it, it means I've got to fight against everything that's natural. But sometimes we have to do that. My mouth's got funny because of lack of water. Too much salt, you're right. I thought they just made you thirsty, it didn't make your gums stick together. What was I saying? Uh, it, but it's hard because we've got to fight against the, the natural flow of things. But see, if we keep choosing life over death, 40 days, they say, takes 40 days to establish a new habit. That if you will do something habitually for 40 days in a row, on the 41st day, it's harder not to do it than it is to do it. And sometimes we've got to apply that kind of, can I use the, the word bloody-mindedness in church? I'm not using that like in the Aussie sense, I'm using it in the proper English sense. Where we have to apply almost like a ruthlessness to our mind. When we grab that sucker by the heel, it's like... And we've got to be determined and say... I'm going to do this for 40 days. Now, you might be a, um, a swearer. It might be something that comes naturally to you. And uh, I remember, um, who was it? I think it's Paul Scanlon. Talks about, he, he reckons he was one of the world's greatest swearers. Because he grew up and it was second nature to him. And God turned that around. And you might say, look, I really need to clean up my language. You might need to just sort of give yourself for 40 days and just really purposefully grab that, that sucker by the heel and just say, I'm going to do that because I know it's not conducive to building people up. It's not difficult. It's just hard. But if we'll do it, if we'll acknowledge and accept that we have a new life and an old life, if we'll make a choice to sow into that second life, and if we keep choosing life over death. Can we go back? I think it's one screen. I think I missed something that I wanted to, to highlight. Yeah, down the bottom. The firstborn nature is constantly to be challenged and supplanted by the secondborn nature. Can I encourage you to make that a purpose in your life? That you would say, okay, I acknowledge that I have a firstborn nature born in sin. I didn't do anything to get it. It just happened. It was part of the natural product of growing up in a world affected by sin. I recognize that. 
But I also know that when I received Jesus Christ as my saviour, he did to me like he did to the disciples. He breathed on my life and he said, receive eternal life. And so I know and I recognise that inside of me is is the divine nature, albeit in baby, baby form. I'm going to constantly challenge and supplant that first nature in my life because I want to be salt and light. Amen?